You're listening to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, certified diversity executive, writer, human rights advocate, and co-founder of the diversity movement. On this podcast, I'm talking to trailblazers, game changers, and glass ceiling breakers who share their inspiring stories, lessons learned, and insights on business, inclusion, and personal development. Hello, everyone. Thank you for spending time with me today. I appreciate every single listener. My guest today is Nancy Murphy, founder and CEO of CSR Communications, where she teaches leaders how to influence and persuade others so they can realize their vision for change faster with less frustration and resistance. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Jackie. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. Thanks for having me. Yes, me too. Me too. Nancy, will you tell us just a little bit more about yourself, your background, your family, your identity, whatever you'd like to share? Absolutely. Probably the best way to describe how I became the person I am today is that I'm a Catholic schoolgirl from the Midwest. I grew Mm -hmm. up in Ohio and Spent 16 years in Catholic school, still recovering from that. I'm the oldest of four girls. And I came to DC about 28 years ago by way of Minnesota. And I came here to work in the Clinton administration in the early days of the National Service Program that he created. And I've been fortunate to work in government, in the private sector, in nonprofits, in philanthropy. And so I sort of bring all those perspectives together and sort of serve as a bridge between a variety of folks who all want to have a positive social impact. Wow. I love that, Nancy. Thank you so much. Nancy, you describe yourself as an organizational change strategist rather than a DEI leader. From your perspective, what's the difference? Well, I see diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, and justice, and all of the ways that that has morphed and deepened as one type of organizational change. And I don't pretend to have the expertise and experience that people who've devoted their professional lives to understanding what those terms really mean and how we make them real inside organizations. But I do know something about why that kind of change is hard in organizations and how to make it less so. So I sort of bring the overarching understanding of organizational change. And I see the diversity, equity, inclusion space as one aspect of organizational change. So that's how I distinguish between the two. Absolutely. And I I think that's so important because you're right. You know, organizations go through change all the time. If you think about just, you know, their, their email service, right. And, and that ensues when you're making a change like that, but because of the way that our, our world is evolving, change is necessary in organizations. So yes, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. And Nancy, let's talk about your company, CSR Communications. What type of organizations do you help? And what are some of the challenges that you find most often? 
Well, have you ever tried to get someone to change their behavior or do something differently or try something new? Yes. <laughs> My guess is you have. So imagine doing that across a team, an entire department, or a whole organization that might be spread out over multiple cities or countries. So we work with socially conscious businesses and mission-driven organizations to help leaders make change that sticks. So doing that individual behavior change, but on a large scale, so that they can achieve their next big initiative, their next big policy change that will rapidly expand their positive impact on the world. So we're, I always say we're tax status agnostic. You know, we'll work with for-profit companies. We work with a lot of sustainability teams, chief diversity officers, chief people officers, and we work with nonprofits, foundations, local government agencies. And some of the, the ways in which we help them related to organizational change are strategy development and transformation, mm-hmm. key message development and change communications, getting con- strategic consensus building, so getting kind of all their stakeholders on the same page about where this change is going and why. Lots of challenges associated with that. <laughs> Including, so here's kind of a a big differentiator for us is we also work on re-energizing change journeys inside organizations because Mm. most of the time, right, any sort of change effort is like this death spiral. (laughs) You know, it's like it's a miserable experience. Everyone hates it. It's um, you have morale issues. And instead, we come in and help organizations use change as a way to re-energize, re-engage, bring new stakeholders, partners, customers, team members to the table. Mm. So that's kind of what we do. I love that. That's, you know, that's so important. And the thing about it is, Nancy, so many leaders don't have that competency, right? That's not necessarily part of the education process or even the growth process as you build your career. And so as organizations are are rolling out these new initiatives, new policies, you know, everything that happens in the course of the life cycle of your leadership, you don't necessarily know how to do that well, right? How you start with communication or you know, what, what's the process or who you talk to first, or, you know, what are those best practices, but it's something that you have to do right. Or you're going to get lots of pushback. People are not going to adopt that thing. Right. So it's, it's a competency that is so important. And if you don't have that, which many leaders don't right? It, again, it's not something that's taught. You definitely need someone like you to come in and help them navigate how to get that rolled out properly um, so that it sticks, as you said. I love that. So Nancy, we know that change management is important in any organization because inevitably, like we said, change occurs as we grow, as markets change, as you know, our society evolves. Share why change management is such an important skill. Well, it's interesting because I think you just hit on an important point, which is most leaders aren't taught how to lead change. Mm -hmm. And that's where I will distinguish between change management and change leadership. 
because I think people often are taught change management. Yes. The sort of science of change, right? And in my experience, guess what? Organizations are made up of people and people are messy humans with lots of emotion and, and organizations don't change. You know, people inside organizations have to change for organizations to change. And that requires leadership. So oftentimes change management is taught where we think it's this linear, logical, predictable thing. We just get the right checklist. We move from this phase after the set amount of time to the next phase, and it's all easy peasy. Right. Well, <laughs> remember those humans with emotions that sort of get in the way. So that's where we need leadership. And that's why I think change leadership is such an important skill and what we work on with our clients and really focusing on the people who I call the unsung heroes of organizational change. Those are those sort of internal change champions, those intrapreneurs, if you will, and really supporting them to make sure they have everything they need to succeed. Because when they succeed and these organizations change in positive ways and launch and realize these big new initiatives for expanding their impact, we all benefit. Nancy, I love that because when we think about it, right, we all are downloading that internet checklist of how to roll out a new change. <laughs> right. And, it, you know, just the same with like as a practitioner of DEI, everything is custom, right? It, you really have to get into an organization and understand how that organization operates, what the sentiment is, how they move. And if you're not doing that with change in general, right, you're you're downloading that checklist from the internet and going through the steps, you're not understanding the nuance of, of each organization being different because, as you said, the people are different. Oh, that's so important. I love that. Change leadership, not change management. Yes. Awesome. Nancy, tell us what some of the hardest shifts are to make in an organization based on the work you do? Well, I think, as you just said, every organization is different. So I don't know that there's necessarily a specific universal shift that's hardest to make. But I would say some characteristics are any sort of shift that hits closest to the power centers inside the organization or that's emotionally charged or closely tied to someone's identity. And this can be, you know, we, I, I think probably your listeners' brains are going to a few things that are, that might seem obvious in that regard, like equity and inclusion and diversity policies and practices, for example. <laughs> I was just thinking that. But also even things like an automation or a new software of some kind can be tied to someone's identity for a variety of reasons that may not be as obvious, right? So really paying attention to that. And anything that has lots of artifacts associated with it that reinforce the status quo. So artifacts are all those little things we leave behind when we move forward with any type of change. And they signal who and what we value, what matters, and how things really get done around here. 
And if we don't unearth and replace the ones that conflict with the change we want, we're going to have a really hard time realizing the change because those signals are going to either make it really hard for people to do what it is we want them to do, even when they want to, right? Too much friction. Mm -hmm. Or it's going to erode trust because people are going to be like, well, you're telling me that diversity is important and we want to hire more candidates who are non-white males, yet our prime recruitment strategy is still Harvard and Yale Law School for our law firm. So I don't really believe you because the, this artifact of where we recruit is here sending a different signal, oh, right? Mm -hmm. Nancy, that's that's so important. And I, if I think about the work that I do in DEI, you know, one of the things that becomes a challenge is the intention of organizations can be right, right? What they want to accomplish, what they want to move to. But you're right, if they're recruiting in those same circles, what they're saying to their their employees and potential employees is yeah, you're you're talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Absolutely. And that is oh, that is so important. The artifacts is what you and that's you mentioned that also in your your insight series, which we're gonna get into in a second as well. Oh, that's really important because one of the struggles I think in making organizational change and with DEI specifically is is people don't trust, right? They're saying, oh, right. you know, it's it's performative, right? It's not something that they're going to commit to for the the long term because of those artifacts that are are remaining that they haven't you know, uprooted. So I, I think that's fantastic. Oh, such good advice. Nancy, what advice can you give to us on how to successfully roll out an organizational change? And at this point in the conversation, I already know it's different for every company. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. you're such a good student, Jackie. <laughs> but if we're thinking holistically, how, how do we begin to think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 while it is different, of course, for every, it's not entirely different, right? There are some key principles that are universal. And one is we always tell leaders when we very first start working with them before we're even rolling anything out, we got to start by looking in the mirror. So are we a credible leader of change? Are we ourselves open to change? <laughs> and that includes getting some pushback or resistance or being open to tweaks on our brilliant idea that we've been maybe noodling around in our heads for the last two years and are just now starting to tell people about, right? So we want to start with looking in the mirror and ensuring that we as the leaders of change are as credible in that space as possible and what kind of work might we need to do on ourselves before we start enrolling others in this change vision. The second thing, um, really, really key, invest now or upfront or pay later. So doing the work upfront, which feels maybe like it's too much effort, I'm not even talking about too much money, really. Not These are not necessarily things that cost a lot of money. They do take a little effort and a little time and a little patience. Like 
mapping our stakeholders across the organization, understanding where those power centers are, having conversations that illuminate the types of resistance. And we're listening really carefully and closely so we're understanding what's underneath and behind that resistance. Being open to sort of tweaking, so getting the messaging right, getting the right players at the table at different stages. So invest up front or pay later. So that's the second piece of advice. And then <laughs> the, the third piece of advice would be don't drive change like a New York City cab driver. <laughs> <laughs> So if any of your listeners have ever ridden in a New York City cab, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Slam on the gas, slam on the brakes, slam on the gas, slam on the brakes. Slam right. on the so by the time we arrive at our destination, we're kind of nauseous, we're a little scared, <laughs> and we're feeling pretty jerked around, right? Mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. We don't want to do that to our teams, to our employees, to our organization. Right. And where I think leaders often get caught up in that is there's such a sense of urgency, you know, the change that especially think about the diversity, equity, inclusion kinds of change. There is such a sense of urgency. And as leaders, we might have had this idea, you know, noodling in our head for a while before we're ready to, to launch it. But then when we do, we're like, we, we want to go. We slam on the gas. Then maybe we hit a bump in the road. Maybe we didn't invest everything we should have up front. So we're getting some resistance or some unexpected thing. Maybe some people are leaving. So now we're a little panicked. Oh, my gosh. Maybe this is the wrong thing. Maybe we're moving too fast. We slam on the brakes. And it starts to feel a little bit like, again, eroding trust. Is this real? Are we doing this? Are we not doing it? And so how do we smooth that out a little bit? How do we get really clear on our commitment? How do we do the work up front? How do we look in the mirror and make sure that we're credible leaders and we're fully committed to this and then ease into it? <laughs> and when we hit bumps in the road or encounter a little resistance or pushback, how do we ease back and not do the slam on the gas, slam on the brake? I think that's so great. And one of the things that you mentioned was mapping stakeholders. And when we think about stakeholders, sometimes we make the assumption that stakeholders are the leaders in the company, mm. but not necessarily, right? It's important to know who influences the culture of your organization. And that may not be VP and above, right? That may be a single employee that just has, you know, great relationships around the organization and people listen to that person. And so I, I love that stakeholder mapping because it's important to take time with that and understand who those stakeholders are, because it's not necessarily just the folks at the top. I think that is fantastic. Well, and Jackie, I'm so glad you said that because we get really granular when we talk to our clients about stakeholders. Because stakeholders are any group, individual or group, who have a stake in mm -hmm. the results of the change or a perceived stake, right? So someone might believe they have a stake in the results of this change, whether you think as the leader they do or not. We were just doing a, our lesson on stakeholder mapping in our Entrepreneurs Influence Lab this week. And so really looking at all the different ways to, to th all the different maps 
that we use, right? If you think about a literal map of the United States or of the world where you might have one that has the the lines drawn where you see the states and, and another that's a topic or topographical map or another that's a heat map or another that's the interstates. And, and so we talk about mapping stakeholders from power, right? Informal authority and formal authority, influence, you know, who, who has informal authority and influence and how do we engage them in ways that are different from someone who might have formal authority, but no real influence inside the organization. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right. And then looking at the demographics, the psychographics, you know, who shares similar dreams, desires, fears, motivations, anxieties. So there's lots of different ways that we want to get insight to the different folks that are important to our change so that we can engage them appropriately. Nancy, this is so eye-opening because a lot of times, you know, organizations say, well, just send them to memo. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. And and there's so much that's involved with rolling out a significant change well. And it's a not send out a memo. <laughs> so all uh, that that's really, really eye-opening. I appreciate that. Now you've said a couple of times the word entrepreneur, and you've created an entrepreneur insight series. Tell us what an entrepreneur is, and then talk a little about that insight series. So Many of your listeners may be familiar with entrepreneur, right? Those folks who disrupt systems by going outside, outside of a formal organization, and they bring that innovation and disruptive mindset to start something new as a way to drive change. Intrapreneurs have that same entrepreneurial spirit, that same innovation commitment, and that disruptive mindset, right? But they're changing organizations from within. These are the folks who are doing those small strategic sustained actions that actually make change stick. So they're important. And one quick point on that, Many people hear that description and think, oh, is there, like, do you have to be a VP before you can be an entrepreneur? Do you have to have a certain title or level of authority? And the answer is no. Anyone can be an entrepreneur if you're the kind of person who sees opportunity where others see challenge, who likes to question the status quo, and who is willing to boost her or his or their influence skills in a way to actually be able to move change. I love that. So Nancy, tell us a little about this insight series. And then I want to get into a couple of pieces on that, but tell us what what the insight series is. Yeah. So last year, 2021, we launched the Entrepreneurs Insight Series to every quarter focus on a hot topic of organizational change. And we interview 10 to 15 leading practitioners on that topic of organizational change. And we marry their insights with our expertise and experience in influence, persuasion, and organizational change that sticks. And then we put these highly actionable 
easily readable, digestible papers out there so others can take those gems and act on them to accelerate their change, right? So our first in the series is on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it's called Beyond Proclamations and Positions to Persistent Practice. Because how many of us have seen in the last 18 months, lots of grand gestures, right? Lots of big public proclamations, lots of new positions, the number of Fortune 500 companies that now have chief diversity officers that never had that role before is amazing. Yeah. But are we seeing the persistent practice that leads to the results we want, the real change? Absolutely. I think the jury's still out. That's right. And Nancy, I love that you use the word practice. That's a word that I frequently use mm. because it's a reminder that there's not an end state. Right? right. It's a continual evolution and learning and education and understanding that comes with an ever changing, ever evolving society and employee base and market segment. Right. So I think that's important. Now, in that that first volume that you mentioned, you know, it struck me in a few places. But one that I want to discuss is your advice to stop focusing on the ROI of DEI and start thinking about sameness tax. Tell us what that means. Well, I guess underneath that is my frustration with everyone responding to the question, what's the business case for this? So I want to challenge the premise of that question, which is, did, did we ever have to make the business case for homogeneity, for exclusion? I mean, and if we did, could we make that business case? No. So why do we have to make the business case for the opposite of that? And okay, we can make the business case. We have made the business case, right? The business case has been out there for at least a decade, yet we don't have the results that we would expect with the strong case that exists. So this is where we bring in the brain science that we use for influence, persuasion, behavior change, and we apply it in this context, which is our brains fear loss more than we desire gain. And so let's not talk about the business case for some benefit, five, 10 years, even 18 months, down the road in the future, right? Because yeah, that's nice, but boy, you're asking me to really do a lot, a pretty heavy lift of changing who I am and how we operate to get that benefit. But if instead we said, guess what? You are paying a penalty right now for sameness and exclusion. Wow. So if you don't want to pay that penalty anymore, here's what you need to do. I love that. That is at the heart of of any type of change. But if I'm thinking, you know, I've, of course, I'm thinking through the DEI lens. And one of the things, the reason why this struck me is because I'm always talking about the ROI of DEI and always talk, making the business case. And this is why you need to do it because it benefits you in these ways. But to say what you said, again, we fear loss more than we desire gain. So. The change isn't because we're looking for this, 
new thing, right? Because we're like, I'm okay right now. I'm okay. Where exactly. I'm at, exactly. Right? And, and <laughs> I don't want to do this hard thing. I'm okay where I'm at. And if we think about any change, whether it's personal change or corporate change, if we're okay enough with where we're at, we're not going to do that hard thing. But so right. when we we make changes when we're saying I'm not happy with what it this currently is, whatever that is, whether again it's personal or or you know in your organization. And so the fear of loss is more than the desire for gain. Okay, that's important. I think that in understanding that as we communicate these changes that we want as leaders for people to make. That is really, really important. Thank you for sharing that, Nancy. Absolutely. I love that. So if we're thinking about influencing and persuading others, what are some of the best practices for getting people to move in our direction? And I'm not talking about my husband right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see if we might subtly send some subconscious (laughs) signals his way, Jackie. (laughs) Right. So I think the first tip would be, and this is something that that we work with clients on a lot, is how to move up our dialogue, our communication to the highest level principle or value where there's common agreement. We often, so think of Simon Sinek's start with why. It's a similar concept right? When we start with what and how, well, we can have lots of disagreements about that. And then we never get to step two. But if we start with why, so I'm thinking of a client we've been working with for a while now that's leading a citywide movement to have a more equitable workforce system, workforce development system. And The highest level principle that we came up with was everyone, every citizen of this community, every resident of this community deserves meaningful work and a hopeful future. And then you say, you you want that too, Jackie, right? Well, yeah, of course I do. Okay, well, if it means maybe doing things a little differently to have that happen, you're willing to have that conversation, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Cause that like, boy, I want that. I want that too. Right. So we sort of like chunk up to the highest level principle or value. So that's the first thing to get others to even have the second conversation, (laughs) right. Or move to the second step. Then we want to think about some of the principles of persuasion. So there are six or seven that Robert Cialdini, who's sort of the guru of this, talks about. One, which is, I think, very valuable in a lot of corporate change efforts, is social proof. We want to do things because others are doing them. And others who we trust or respect or aspire to be like. So Mm -hmm. if our competitors, if other CEOs we admire, if our peers in an industry are doing something, well, we want to be part of that too, or we're willing to consider it because we see that it's worked for somebody else. So social proof. So thinking about who are the cue givers 
in your industry or inside your company or organization? Mm-hmm. Who are those influencers and how do we get them on board and use their success or their commitment as a way to drive others to change? And then, you know, the last thing I'll say I, I alluded to a little earlier, which is understanding the dreams, desires, fears, motivations, anxieties of the people we're trying to influence and speaking directly to those, right? And I think that's where like a a little tip on that is don't start with, here's what I need from you. Okay. This one might work for your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Hey honey, here's what I need for for you to do today. Mm-hmm. Instead, we want to start with, and we, we may not ask this exact question, but there are little tools and techniques we can use to, to learn. We want to start with how can I help you get what you need and want? And in doing so, I will get what I want and need, right? So sort of reframing the opportunity so that it speaks directly to a dream, desire, a fear, and anxiety and motivation of the person or group of people we're trying to influence. And starting from that point rather than starting from our perspective. Absolutely. Nancy, wow, that's such good advice. And thinking that's super helpful for me, um, just in what I need for my my hubby, right? But <laughs> thinking about um, corporate communication, it's very often that conversations are had around, you know, the conference table among the decision makers. It's discussed, it's debated, it's decided, and then it's pushed out. Like, this is what we're doing. But we really do have to step back and think about how we need to message it. How, what information do we need to determine how to message it, right? What are those desires and, and fears that the people in our organization have that we're just not thinking about, right? Because we're, doing all the other things, but really we need to make sure that we continually have a pulse on our organization and how they think and what they're excited about and what they're hopeful for and what they're afraid of. What makes them nervous? It's that perspective shift, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us just get so locked into our perspective, our view of the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I walk into when we're back in person, you know, Mm -hmm. or when we were in person, walking into a meeting room of of leaders. And sometimes I'll just say, switch. Is that the seat you always sit in? You see the world from that seat, right? Sit over here. Sometimes just doing something as simple as that, like shakes up the way we see things and you go, oh, I I was kind of missing that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that perspective taking that is so critical to lead change effectively. Oh, that is fantastic. That is so great, Nancy. So as we think about recruiting, hiring leaders are some of the most important decisions that we make. Um, what recommendations do you have on the qualities and characteristics we should look for in the leaders that are going to be able to you know, lead these changes within our organization, which is so important? So I've been pleasantly surprised in the last six or nine months to see publications like the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, 
all saying what I've been saying for a while is what we need in leaders, things like empathy. I mean, this is the Wall Street Journal, right? We The number one skill we need in leaders in 2022 is empathy. Wow, that's fascinating. But think about not just diversity, equity, and inclusion as a culture norm inside organizations, but think about the world we've been living in for the last two years in lots of ways, right? So hire for empathy, openness, humility, right? Being willing to make mistakes, admit when we're wrong, admit we don't have all the answers all the time. A learning mindset, sort of that commitment to lifelong learning, curiosity, emotional and cultural intelligence, mm. being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, think again, think about this constant change, the amount of uncertainty that people seem to focus on, even though I would argue there's more certainty than we think right now, but we tend to focus on what's uncertain. And so having a leader who can lead confidently amidst discomfort, amidst uncertainty. So I think those are all characteristics that probably we've needed in leaders for at least 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but they're mm -hmm. absolutely critical for what we should be hiring for right now. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's such a departure from what we've been looking at as like skill fit within the corporate culture. What are known as soft skills are now becoming those competencies that are most important. Um, and I actually am on a personal crusade to stop calling them soft skills. Okay. Because yeah. it, that's an artifact. That's a little thing we've left behind that in the minds of certain people will be, well, less important. Well, okay. you can't really measure it. So mm -hmm. we don't really know. I don't know. Can you teach anybody that? Like, I don't, I don't, those are soft. They're really, we want technical skills. We want, you know, think about the job descriptions for CEOs or C-suite folks. Think about the interviewing processes. Think about the iconic sort of stories and and people that we highlight and promote over and over and over again, they're not always demonstrating these skills. They're not always designed to sort of filter for these skills. So I think when we just say this is leadership, mm -hmm. not soft skills, not whatever. And yes, you may need to have a certain level of technical competency Right. to be able to use all of these characteristics and skills in a most effective way for our business or our mission. Mm -hmm. But that's not hard. And the other, these other things aren't soft, right? This is leadership. And then what technical capacity do you bring to leverage those leadership skills? Amazing. That is such good insight. Thank you so much for that, Nancy. So there's so much happening in the world right now, the spotlight on racial injustice and inequity, the pandemic, a changing economy, the great resignation, war, right? What are some <laughs> tips for navigating the uncertainty in the workplace in 2022? Well, I'll just say rewind, replay what we just discussed, right? <laughs> 
So first of all, are we raising young people, young adults to have these skills? Are we, what, what glory stories I often call them, right? What legacies, myths, um, legends, what stories do we tell that signal to young people coming into the workplace? What skills are most important? And for life, right? Not just for the workplace, but for life. And so if we're doing that, if we're hiring and supporting and training leaders who have all of those characteristics and skills that we just discussed, then these are leaders who will find it much easier to find the certainty amidst the perceived uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I do believe there's more certainty than we think. Yeah. And in the absence of certainty, how do we create clarity, right? And But again, you need leaders with these skills who can do that. And then I think reminding all of us, I can't tell you that I've been shocked at the level of learned helplessness that I'm seeing in organizations in the last year. It's as if we've all forgotten that we have any agency or any control at all. And it, it's just, it really is shocking and very saddening to me. And so I think if we can all remember that we have more control and agency and influence than we think, and finding that area where even if in a situation, it's only how you respond to it, it's only how you frame it. If that's the only, you still have that agency in that one area. And instead of spending all of our time in the no control zone, you know, where it can be really fun for a while to sort of blame everybody at, well, I can't do anything until the board tells me this or until the CEO decides or until the world, you know, stops having wars or whatever and stay in that blame, no control zone. Well, pull yourself back into the center and find that agency that you have. I guarantee you it's more than you're seeing right now. Nancy, that is fantastic. Thank you for that great advice. I think we can all take a little bit of that in in just how we're navigating the world right now. Uh, Because you're right, it is easier to say, well, you know, this is occurring or, you know, I can't do this until this or But yeah, like take back that agency. I love that. So Nancy, as we begin to wrap up, a question that I always love to ask is, what is the best advice someone has ever given you? Well, I often think back on advice that my great uncle Dick gave me when I first graduated from college. So he was a Catholic priest, and he was stationed here in D.C. at Catholic University for 40 years. And I graduated from college. I was so idealistic and optimistic, and I wanted to come to D.C. and change the world. And I was out here interviewing for jobs, and I had dinner with him. And he said, so tell me about these positions you're interviewing for. And after I described a few of them, he just sort of looked at me and said, Nancy, let me give you some advice. (laughs) 
I would give this to any young person, but I think it's especially important for a young woman. You're interviewing for receptionist positions, administrative assistant. I was like these nonprofits that were going to pay me, you know, $3 an hour or some crazy thing or things on Capitol Hill. And he said, I just, I just worry that you're going to get pigeonholed into an administrative track and you're never going to be able to break out of that inside these organizations. So my best advice to you is go somewhere else, go away from this town for a few years Become an expert at something. Everyone in this town wants an expert, right? <laughs> right. Then come back and you'll start up here and you'll be able to move in a different track. And so I did. I ended up, you know, working in this field called service learning, mm -hmm. which was relatively new at, it, at the time. And I was able to get a pretty high level position. And because I was also interested in policy in that area, like there just weren't that many people doing that kind of work. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in four years, I was able to come back in a much higher level position that put me on, you know, I guess what he would have considered a professional track versus an admin, you know, he didn't want me to get it locked into being a secretary. Mm -hmm. And this was 1990. So it wasn't, you know, 1970. But, you know, even in 1990, the world wasn't the place we'd all like it to be. So that was some of the best right. advice I've ever gotten. Nancy, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. What? is the advice or what do you want to leave our listeners with today, Nancy? I want our listeners to remember that starting change with grand gestures can be easy, mm. but it's that small, strategic, sustained action, that persistent practice that makes change stick. So that's where we need to be putting more of our time and energy. That is such great advice. Nancy, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I have learned so much in this conversation and probably taken a page and a half of notes uh, <laughs> while we were talking, but I've just learned so much. Thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing insights. And I really enjoyed that uh, Entrepreneur Insight series. Uh, I learned so much. And, and again, the the ROI of DEI is old. Think about sameness tax and what that costs an organization or leaders. Love it. Nancy, thank you for spending some time with me. I really enjoyed every moment of our conversation. Thank you, Jackie. I did too. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please take a moment to subscribe and review this podcast and share this episode with a friend. Become a part of our community on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Jackie Ferguson. Join us for our next episode of Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. Take care of yourself and each other.